I started writing in. I started writing in my book first. Nice. Uh, it's, 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 correct. Yeah. I start. I started like taking notes on my phone, and then I was just like, "No!" I just like took out a pencil and just like underline, underline, very small notes. Like. Barricades, a Lemos podcast. Um, I we don't have anything interesting this week, sadly. I mean, we're remotely recording again, so I mean, as in we don't have a guest like oh, yeah. last time, which was like the most interesting that thing that's ever happened to us that's true. Um, ever in our lives. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how we're gonna top that. So um, why not? <laughs> uh, this is Nemo, your host. I use they them pronouns and. I just watched the Japanese uh, Les Mis black bootleg and I am in love with Japanese Javert. I've noticed that on Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Grace, your primary researcher. I use they them pronouns and I've just spent the last two and a half hours reading about personality profiles. It's been really validating. (laughs) (laughs) This is Stevie, your secondary researcher. She, her pronouns, and oh, okay, I've just remembered. I've also just got back from Hawaii. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I had to not even subtly drop that in. And the friend we were visiting said that she had a dream that we were doing a live show. But oh my we, god! But it was that it was us performing it, and it was her and my girlfriend like in the wings watching us, and they were both like, "They are so terrible, but we support them so much." <laughs> and honestly, I think it was just a premonition. This is the most realistic thing that's ever I happened. Know. <laughs> I was like, honestly, we would badly perform. It was like in a field or something. And I'm like, this is <laughs> true. I've been like. Having to wait like a month to finally oh like God. bring this Shit. up on the podcast. <laughs> I've literally recently found out every single one of my friends, like friends I didn't even think like cared about theatre at all. All of them except for me love Lamest. So I'm like, how am I the only <laughs> one who's ended up on this podcast? Because all of you really care about it. <laughs> I went to go and see Hamilton again the other day and um the the girl I was sitting next to like was she was super into theatre and stuff and like talking about all this cool stuff and she was really cool like and we were talking about like all theatre and stuff and you're like oh right yeah you know slowly sort of working your way around to the topic and I was like oh we talked about all this that and the other we talked about like in the heights and stuff and then we're like and I was like how do you feel about Les Mis in that like I don't care but in case you care <laughs> and she was just like oh it's just got like four songs in it and I'm like <laughs> I was like yes <laughs> I actually can't disagree with you <laughs> <laughs>
it comes. Okay. Oh. oh God. Okay. I was about okay. to make a. Na- I was good about to try and make like a natural flow into looking at the text. And well, you're taking too fucking long. So. Why so rude? <laughs> Speaking of Les Mis. Speaking of Les Mis, and also because last time we didn't really uh, discuss what was happening when it happened, but um, we trailed off with Autumn Gracie because we had spent so much time talking about stuff and we didn't actually get through the chapters. When you say stuff, you mean Valver. (laughs) Okay, well, yes. This is a call-out post for Nima Martin. Um... But, see, the thing is, and anyway, so, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, so we're going to continue where we left off with the chapters that we didn't go into, uh, which was, the last one that we didn't do was? I think that it was the inwardness of despair, but I might be wrong. I figured that, like, we definitely at least, like, the first one that we were going to do was the one just entitled Jean Valjean, which tells us the backstory of how our boy ended up in prison. But I think we, like, touched into the one... This chapter is about, like, how his mindset changes from the pure, if slightly resentful, young dude who goes into prison to a man who is literally described as a caged animal at the end and like it sort of details like how his mindset evolves throughout the sort of the years of his prison time which is really interesting and I don't think we really went into it very much not that I remember it's really difficult to hold this with also a laptop and also I can't have it too far away from me I think because I have an internal microphone also this being the brick so Grace is currently <laughs> balancing the brick on their lap with their laptop in my bed <laughs> In bed. I mean I'm also in bed I think Stevie I mean. is also in bed <laughs> so I went on a box not included a couple of weeks ago to talk to Jade uh, a different Jade from our Jade and um we were like podcasting at like 9.30 in the morning or something and we were both Ugh. like, oh, it's so early. Podcasting is so hard. <laughs> God. Do you know who else is in some serious darkness right now? It's our boy JJ. <laughs> <laughs> so we start chapter seven, if I'm correctly reading Roman numerals, which I could frankly not be. He was an untutored man, as we have said, but that is not to say he is stupid. It's <laughs> current, like, current mood. So we start off with, like, an evaluation of, yeah, a reminder with, like, Jean Valjean that, like, even though he hasn't been, like, tutored or schooled in any way, he's, an, like, an intelligent man. And it starts with how that turns in on itself because he's in prison in the way that, like, because he's got nothing to do with it in that way, like, it, he sort of, like, starts internalising all that sort of stuff and just locks himself away and the like way that this begins is with him trying to decide whether he thinks he was guilty of what he's been what he's been punished for as it were and we start off with 
him, you know, come to this, you know, he concedes, yes, I'm guilty of stealing the bread. Yes, this was an excessive act. If I, perhaps if I had asked, I might have received it. And actually, I do remember that we spoke about this because this is where, um, <clears throat> this is where our boy Victor Hugo says, um, like, people very rarely die of starvation anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you're like... Thanks, Victor. <laughs> Victor? Like, shut up. Like, Yeah, and then we had that long conversation about that. Oh, I remember. It was my fault because then I started saying about the ending, about Jean Valjean dying of starvation. Yeah. And, and then we ended, <laughs> I think. So I think this is actually where we ended so basically like you know he he concedes that he has done wrong but then gets to the really interesting bit where he goes from that sort of rumination i guess to deciding whether the punishment that he's been served is just and he goes from trying himself to sort of trying the french justice system as it were and we get loads of real real fun interesting things that are pretty currently relevant in the um was it not a serious mat a serious matter that a man willing to work should have been without work and without food and you sort of go mm-hmm. to the people listening grace just made a face <laughs> we all made it back yeah this is a visual medium right that's what podcasting yeah, yeah, yeah. is yeah it's a yeah it's a visual yeah. medium yeah yeah it was vaguely wide-eyed Vaguely eyebrows up. Yeah, I did it again as if you would get it more that time. <laughs> yeah, so he goes on about um, the fact that the um, the scales of justice have been weighed against him. And is that not a greater crime in itself, basically? like And, you know, all that sort of nonsense, which is all good fun. Was it not monstrous that society should treat in this fashion precisely those least favoured in the distribution of wealth, which is a matter of chance, and therefore most needing indulgence, which again, like... Hashtag relatable. Okay, so he does his stuff, he passes judgment on society, and the interesting thing that comes out of it is that we come from the boy who paid for the milk that all of his nieces and nephews stole to a man who condemns all of society to his hatred. Like, Mm. and that is that's you know a line it's he passes judgment on society he condemned it to his hatred and oh, i was just gonna say um i twenty thousand leagues under the sea um he is sounding very captain nemo-esque uh like society was shit to him so then he built a submarine and was like well fuck you then <laughs> and then took all of his victor hugo novels and went under the sea so um, at Jules Verne <laughs> we get to the next bit where like in Toulon which again is the prison that he's in um, there are some monks who are doing some like um, elementary instruction because I couldn't think of a better way to describe it frankly someone quoted Sherlock at me earlier and oh so now I'm oh super upset <laughs> oh, shit. that's Does why that... your day was so bad that's why my day was so bad just because someone quoted Sherlock at me uh, actually actually this is uh poignant yeah i'm gonna fucking name drop her it was it. because 
Um, Uvashi was really upset that I haven't name dropped her so far. So yeah, this is for you for fucking quoting Sherlock at me earlier. What the fuck? So Vashan learns to read and write. And like the interesting thing that's taken away from that is that it's clarified as him like fortifying his hatred. Like like (laughs) weaponifying it. Weaponifying? Fight is the most useful... uh learning tool yeah basically <laughs> like he's like militarizing his hatred he goes from being evil to also impious which is even mm-hmm. worse than just being evil goes straight into chaotic evil from just straight old <laughs> neutral evil like because from condemning society the thought structure goes to condemning that which made society which is our boy Providence. Um, uh, There's more philosophy about how anything which is created pure and good can ever be totally evil and basically... It it sounded like you were going to be like, and discuss, and I was like, uh, uh, um. (laughs) Uh, I'm always ready to discuss Christianity. You did it, right? Like, you, you landed yourself in that pit. Like both of you do it. <laughs> I I would I would suffer in this. I I have only awe for people who study philosophy. The like extent of my philosophy is saying I did classics and so there was some philosophy there. <laughs> I didn't take any of the modules. Um, and I have watched The Good Place. Um speaking <laughs> <laughs> go. Um, oh, and God. I am, am in the Eleanor school of thought, um, which means you occasionally do some of your own readings, so you can't fucking say fairer <laughs> than that. Okay, well, obviously, I've not read any of it, so my theory for the future of Lemis is that this is the starting point of his journey of the rest of the book. That he's starting. <laughs> no, I mean, like clearly it is. Like, <laughs> is it? <laughs> no, Spoiler alert, Stevie. This is the end. Like Grace thought when we. <laughs> is this piece of backstory an exposition? No, it's not. Like... Is that the beginning of the journey? <laughs> is that what it is? Like I was about to try. <laughs> so. I'm just taking this opportunity to be, to be really rude. Please carry on. As in, it's like wiped this man like clean slate, starting from like zero slash like negative like religion, no care for society, like, and it's just gonna be putting him through trials to force him to like care about people. And care about God again. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, because he, he wouldn't be able to get back from this if he didn't. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I wonder whether the idea... Whether... I think Hugo thinks you can't get rid of this immortal spark of goodness sort of thing, even from the basest of souls. But I think it suits him dramatically to imply that you can, so that then when this thing which is literally descri- like described as like a spark as like a tiny tiny light is then lit by 
Bishop Muriel literally with a fucking candlestick. Like, oh my god, no, you know, that real delicate light hand with metaphor that our boy has, like that real, just subtle, just soft touch, you know. So, like, sorry, I'm just gonna keep saying stupid shit just to try and say stuff, (laughs) but like. Because you get that kind of with um, Dickens, where like the good characters, they're always good, and the bad characters mm. are always really bad. And even though he's sort of saying like, okay, JJ's, he's at the, like, he fucking hates everyone, but because he still had that spark at the beginning, like, we knew he originally was good, like, he was never mm. gonna not end up being a good boy. I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah. No, but I suppose it's like the um like every single fight in any movie scene ever. Like Yeah. It's it's whoever takes the first bad hit is always the one who comes out winning in the end. Like that's always it's the like if you read any uh like the Iliad or the Odyssey and there's like uh, a duel the first person to throw their spear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the much more sophisticated equivalent (laughs) of what I just No, but then, but, but, um, so the thing is, when Grace and I were watching Black Panther, like, we came out of it and we were like, they, like, we knew who was going to win each duel because they literally did spear fights in the Mm -hmm. classical Greek way. Mm -hmm. Like, Complete with arming scenes, too. Like, they were literally like the classical arming scenes. The Greeks! Rhetoric devices are successful and are taken and repeated and copied, and you will see them because... In fact, actually, I would go as further as to say that you don't see them. Like, you... Mm. Because you see them so much that they become invisible to you. You don't... So, like, the sort of the remarkableness which is definitely is an old word, like, of these, like, really communicative, really excellent, like, rhetorical storytelling devices. You don't even see them because, like, there's something which, like, yeah, they become invisible in the media that you're consuming. So we hated society too much to not end up serving it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, basically, yeah. So we've got we've got to the society has thrown the first spear. Although I would argue <laughs> that society still always wins. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't. In this think essay, like that. I will. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I. This is that positive thinking shit that she <laughs> yeah. started in me. It's just like you know. We're not gonna get shit done if we yeah. always yeah mm-hmm. say true good point yeah but like yeah basically this is a book about um the cruelty of society and what people can do about that so there's quite a lot of that in <laughs> here actually <laughs> there is there's a respectable amount of that content in this big old book <laughs> so basically uh our boy victor hugo he brings up his uh, his philosophical questions says that they're too difficult for him to answer, so we might as well move on. Like, basically, <laughs> which is you know the most Victor Hugo bullshit 
ever really um it goes on like i'm sorry this whole chapter is literally is like a painstaking description of how he arrived at the mental state he's in so be ready for like each subtle shift in mental state until we get there (laughs) the next mental state is well it's actually i say that it's not super mental state it's more like it's him it's them decide um victor hugo trying to work out whether he is aware of his own darkness ignorance and actually something really interesting which i didn't say earlier and i forgot about is that the way it's described is a lot like depression the this sort of like almost fugue state that he's in the language and lots of the like the emotional responses and stuff make me think a lot of a, of a depressive state the bit that i was looking at is um and i don't think this is what probably what victor hugo was trying to do but coming at it with mr mr boyton's least favorite thing which is a modern perspective <laughs> It starts with he was too ignorant to be lucid in his thoughts, even so mu- after so much hardship, which, mm, wording, but like you can mm. twiddle it a little bit. Um, he lived in shadow, suffered in shadow, hated the shadows, and maybe said to have hated himself. He lived in darkness, fumbling like a blind man, a man in a dream. Only occasionally was he overtaken by a burst of furious rage, rising within him or provoked from without, that was an overflow of suffering, a swift, searing flame illuminating all his soul and shedding its ugly light on everything that lay behind behind him and ahead, the chasms and sombre vistas of his destiny. But these flashes passed, and darkness closed in again, and where was he? Did not know. I mean, it's not too much of a modern perspective to be like, this guy has been in prison, <laughs> he's, he's self-loathing, he's, he's probably depressed. <laughs> <laughs> He's lost faith in humanity, he's lost faith in God, um, and he's lost faith in himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah, alright, don't Stevie me. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is that, like, whether there's a reading that you can take of this book where, like, this period in his life is a metaphor for depression. I think... Mm, bear with me. Think about that <laughs> yeah. for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Ruminate. <laughs> I don't think Valjean is happy at all. <laughs> ever. Like, ever. Mm. In yeah. Les Mis. True. I think he is quite depressed, like, the entire time. Even so, arguably, he goes through better years when watching Cosette grow. But he's still living in like fear mm. and worrying about what he's done, and I would say self self loathing about like all of the oh. actions that he's done. Oh, oh. that. Sorry, he disappeared. Oh, um, yeah. I I don't know. I would say, yeah. I hadn't thought about it before, but I do think that Valjean modern perspective, I do think that Vashon is depressed like the entire time. And, and and I guess this kind of goes with the whole like, what you were saying before well, we were saying before of like um, 
you can't really beat society or whatever. I mean, mm. society can only be beaten when people lift each other up and help yeah. each other out. Yeah. And the only times that he's truly happy are when people are nice to him, <laughs> like, um, or who treat him with respect, or if Wild. when he treats someone with respect, it's like reciprocated, or, you know, yeah, wild things like that. How how strange and what a yeah. bizarre concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that like the only I can I, like all I can think of is Valjean had eaten the wing of the chicken, and like you literally have a man who like restricts his diet throughout his entire life because he thinks he doesn't deserve otherwise. Like I was talking about this when I was watching the uh, Japanese layman's. Um, about the barricade and about how the Japanese layman's plays the Japanese Javert plays Javert um, oh, as really? very uh, self-sacrificing at that point or self-loathing or like resigned hmm. to die but I think if you look at it Valjean is also resigned quite a lot as well hmm. Hmm. I've just stepped back a little bit from out inside my own head and realised mm. that I tried to offer as something controversial the fact that depression might be a big theme in this book <laughs> called... <laughs> I mean, at least it's not set in the 1920s. Like... <laughs> <laughs> at least you've got that going for you. <laughs> It took me so, like, I remember there was such a long time in my youth when I didn't understand the phrase can't see the wood for the trees. <laughs> and I think I'm living it. <laughs> I mean, I just tried to sell. I think that this beginning of the book is the beginning of the book. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a great day. <laughs> Go. We're having we're having an ideological warm up. We've not recorded for ages. I've not we're had to think since the last time we recorded. No. We're just trying to make sure we're all on the same page. It's fine. Nemo, do you want to point out anything obvious? Yeah, have you got anything really, really transparent to point out today? Um, I mean, I I did say the thing about him being in jail um and being depressed so yeah I, i'm just gonna like ride the grace train of of have i i, I feel like you can't okay. hear me I, i'm not gonna give you that i think because that piggybacked off of i think there is like a lot of lag because... no we can but you're in robot voice <laughs> slow motion yeah. robot voice yeah. <laughs> we get like a syllable <laughs> Enunciated you like you can hear me. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I reached hysteria. Oh god. Okay. Where were we? Maybe this man might be depressed. Um. Okay. So this is where the caged animal bit comes in. He goes from his like his sort of like fugue darkness state to where like I think Hugo tries to justify a little bit 
the fact that VJ would like got to so close to being able to get out of prison and then fucked it by escaping for like 36 hours <laughs> and then getting recaptured sort of thing where he's where he becomes an animal because he's treated that way as it were like the um the sort of like brutalizing form of punishment that he's enduring is just like slowly eating away at his humanity basically so he becomes yeah he becomes an animal and yeah it turns a man into an animal sometimes a ferocious one so yeah he like if he sees an opening he'll take it no matter how illogical it is because he becomes impulsive <laughs> I just found one of, one of my really insightful comments which the quote I was like oh why did I bracket this quote how interesting the, um, the, the quote for context purposes is a detail which we must not fail to mention is that in physical strength Jean Valjean far surpassed any other inmate of the prison and my comment is just do not forget he is swole <laughs> thanks Hugo <laughs> like that's basically what Hugo just said <laughs> and we Don't mustn't forget. forget that he was the most swole in the he prison was the he was boy. the swolest of the prison okay we mustn't forget this he had the biggest biceps they were and so I know he's 60 but he looks 40 <laughs> <laughs> and he was swole okay he, he was, was really, really swole. swole and you know what the only thing that he was even better at than being strong was being really dexterous <laughs> I've read too much fan fiction recently like <laughs> to just take that comment yeah and then we go from the fact that he's very very strong very very dexterous but then we go into the fact that like it yeah it says oh yeah he's he's so so powerful he's so so like good with his oh fingies yeah really good with his fingers and um <laughs> straight then into um he spoke seldom and never smiled. It took some extreme emotion to wring from him, perhaps once or twice a year. A sour convict chuckle like the laughter of demons. The sight of him suggested that he was continually absorbed in the contemplation of something terrible. So I decided that if he was a D&D &D character, he would be like strength 19, dex 20, and then just charisma like 7. Just like literally like the whole fucking way, I swear. But like... Hmm. He Constitution would be pretty fucking like, Oh no, no, we're like completely lacking. Yeah, yeah. You you like didn't it? Like I made that joke, and like I think you were frozen. Either that, or you just really didn't find it funny. And like, and I was just like, oh no, I've got to dig myself out of it. And then you started responding to it because you'd uh, it was, yeah, it's really hard. It uh, about how his like strength is like nineteen and. Uh, his dexterity is 20 and his charisma is very low, but somehow he always manages to roll a crit mm. 20 of charisma and like everyone in the party is just so like annoyed with the fact that he manages to become the mayor of some small town just by like rolling a 20. <laughs> just fucking fluke rolls all this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm gonna boy. hang up to see if this um, helps.
No, you hang up. They look so dreamy. <laughs> they're like yeah. saying they're like they yeah. look so dreamy. They're like mm. <laughs> all like glamour posed. Like <laughs> nice, cool. Am I responding? I... Good time. Hi. Oh no. Hey. Hello. No. Hello. Oh. oh. No. I think we synced up. We're gonna become like <laughs> Simon says, where it's like. And then we stop, and you're like, "Oh shit, I'm frozen again," and we're just like, "You didn't say Simon says." <laughs> I'm trying to think of something funny to say that will make you laugh, so that I could time when you're laughing. <laughs> oh wait, no, Grace is fish. <laughs> no, I'm saying that I'm completely lagging behind you guys, like by by a lot. It's really disheartening in a conversational partner, by the way. <laughs> okay, well, I, I need some let, validation. Let's just note that um, I am I'm a quite lagging she behind, so I'm just not gonna like react much. It's really disconcerting because you'll start speaking and you'll be like, "Oh well, I can't do anything about it because you've got like 20 seconds behind me." But from now on, we'll carry on. I'm just not gonna react as much, and that just it doesn't mean that i'm not being well it's just because i'm lagging so stevie is gonna react That's for me fine. thank you carry on so he's really good at fingering <laughs> and... oh yeah because he was constantly absorbed in the contemplation of something terrible and then we lead on from there to and of course he was because he's always contemplating contemplating the like structure of society and all that sort of thing and there was a really interesting one which I liked which was did he seek to look upwards beyond the pallid half-light in which he crouched it was to see with mingled terror and rage an endless structure rising above him a dreadful piling up of things laws prejudices men and, th and facts whose shape he could not discern and whose mass appalled him which was nothing less than a huge pyramid of which we call civilization. And I thought that one really struck me because I think everyone, people would be lying if they said they hadn't felt that. In the way, you, did you ever fight, like, face something so terrible and you think, how, like, how can we fix this? How can we solve this? And there's just, there's so much like there's legislation in the way and the fact that people won't see it and that it, like it's it's the literally looking up and there's this like just faceless leviathan of society standing in the way of but yes obviously a lot um but yesterday i was at um a divert diversity role models thing mm. which is basically they go into schools and they talk uh they get volunteers, people who, who are LGBT, to go into schools to talk to like 11 to 15 year old children about like why you shouldn't bully people and like it, it sounds really strange but it's like you know the whole oh I didn't realise it was bad to say that word until I heard how it affected someone and you know having someone come in to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, but the lady that I was sat next to, she um, is trans and um, very much experienced. And when I introduced myself to her, she was like, oh, I cannot say how much I appreciate you being confident enough to say that you're non-binary. Because at least with the passport stuff, um, 
I can change my passport to say female but you can't even do that and so I am fighting for you now and I think it can be very scary facing these kind of things when you when you think that you're alone in this and stuff but people are with you even if you don't know that they are with you there is all this legislation I mean this is specifically mm. gender stuff but even if you do something small it means that the next person when they do something small it'll be slightly easier for them and blah 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 I mean yeah I, th so the point is yes 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 it like these massive leviathans are scary but also I don't want the message of this podcast to be like and isn't it terrible how relatable this is I want it to be like it is terrible how relatable this is yeah. but there are people who can make these changes and I don't think we should be discouraged by it the end continue <laughs> yeah like I completely agree with everything you said and like my mindset is very much also of a like yes yeah, small like trying to you know yeah, keep positive attitudes like small steps in whatever directions you can in like mostly in different ways and that sort of thing but yeah it's it's a difficult it's like just with the like the this is basically an essay on like s societal dysfunction and I don't want it to come across that just because I keep bringing that up that that's what I buy into. Yeah, I I don't think that it does. I I think and I and I think it is really important that we do talk about it. Like, do talk about how hard it is to like even consider going against the hashtag norm and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I only bring it up because I know that I have listened to a lot of things where they will discuss something like this and then sort of leave it on the negative. Yeah. And so. Yeah. A and so your job is to read the the primary text and to say what is happening in the primary text and to be like, yeah. isn't that relatable? I, yeah. I I think it is more my job to be like, and this is how we're going to put it in context with. Yeah, cool. That's, yeah, that's that's a, a good, yeah, I like that. Good, cool, agreed. At this point in the narrative for him, yeah. he feels hopeless. Yeah. And somewhere I have a quote how Loki Hugo is trying to mobilise at least something with this text. So at least yeah. in our current day we can be like, things are shit but there's hope. Yeah, exactly. But when he was writing this, maybe he was like, things are shit, so let's have some hope. Yeah. He's doing the equivalent of what, of the, like, the saying that there is a, that there is just blackness in his soul, so that when, when the, the tiny light appears, it, like, can make people make the light appear. Like, let's say that, like, you know. Like, when Muriel brings the fucking candle. Yeah. Let's all be that candle. <laughs> fans the metaphorical <laughs> flames and bullshit like yeah. yeah basically nice cool the next note i have is literally just themes of the oppressed crushed under the weight of society oh god <laughs> like i'm sorry like, like it's just well, wasn't the title something to that effect what what could they be but the thoughts of a grain of corn ground between millstones if it were capable of thinking? 
Um, things that happened to him seemed inconceivable. The world around him grotesque. He would say to himself, this is a dream, and stare at the warder standing a few feet away from him as though he was seeing a ghost, until suddenly the ghost dealt him a blow, which, like, comes across, like, you know, comes across as a um, disassociative kind of yeah. mental state. Which is interesting. Um, it is interesting. Next week, but I'm psychoanalyzing this boy. <laughs> <laughs> I just read a comic where, like, um, it's like a four panel thing where it's like a man walks into a haunted house and he's really scared and, like, he's, he, like, goes back to his house and he starts weight training and he's, like, like getting ready for himself and getting ready and then like the next panel it like flips around and there's this ghost who's like absolutely ripped and they're like about to fight <laughs> and I was just like Jean Valjean like standing there and then he like turns around and there's this like ghost who's just jacked <laughs> the only ghost that is more swole than Jean Valjean <laughs> He found it. He found the jacked ghost. <laughs> oh, hell. I cannot believe this is where we've got to. <laughs> I really, really can believe. So we get to the, the sum up kind of point of, of, of this chapter. This is the end of the psychological journey chapter we're approaching, um, where we sort of get introduced to the idea that he's capable of sort of two different yeah it's described as two different kinds of misdeed firstly the heedless unpremeditated act executed in blind fury as some sort of reprisal for the wrongs he had suffered and secondly the deliberate and considered crime justified in his mind by the thoughts inspired by these wrongs and i kind of think that might be a very sort of Chekhov's gun kind of device and I would be really interested to see in the rest of the text and I suppose in the things that follow the difference in his behaviour between when we can see his calculated acts and his impulsive acts because we know that what follows is him stealing the silverware spoiler alert Sorry if you didn't know that was going to happen. Which I'm assuming is going to come across as like an impulsive action. But I just, I wonder how, well, it would be interesting to follow impulse yeah, V calculated. Impulsive watch. Yeah. Yeah. Impulse watch. Same be as aware of your Providence impulses. watch. Oh, I wonder how uh, much those two will connect. Yeah. I, t- I can't, like, yeah. Because I suppose that is literally, that's the... Say, we'll yeah. discuss when we get to the candlesticks all the yeah. forces that are fighting within this one boy <laughs> this one poor conflicted boy basically there is um one bit just after the candlesticks uh so like yeah I, 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 impulse watch is interesting i think it will mostly come up around now and mm. around Javert. I'm thinking of the coin? The child with the coin and yeah. stuff? Yeah. Mm. Inside lame is jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Not even just jokes, just sad things. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Guys, here it comes. We have got to my favourite chapter. The extended metaphor chapter. Oh. It's Extend literally- that us. 
it's literally just a page and a half of Victor Hugo writing an extended metaphor for a man cast overboard and is left behind by his ship and drowning in the sea. That's like, that's what this chapter is. And at the end, he basically goes, yeah, this is like human society. <laughs> like that. <laughs> and it's actually a really interesting chapter. Like, I'll re- I- I'll just, I'll read the important bit first because it will make the rest of it make sense rather than being like why are we suddenly who cares about this random man (laughs) like what it's yeah it's another one of like oh there's a man he's fallen out of a ship that man it's Jean Valjean but also (laughs) the man could literally be any other character in this book and that's what I find interesting um yeah what he basically says about this man who's drowning and he calls for god and and god doesn't answer um such is the remorseless progression of human society shedding lives and souls as it goes on its way it is an ocean into which men sink who have been cast out by the man by the man that's not what that says it is an ocean into which men sink who have been cast out by the law and consigned with help most cruelly withheld to moral death the sea is the pitiless social darkness into which the penal system casts those who it has condemned an unfathomable waste of misery the human soul lost in these deaths death may become a corpse who shall revive it you you should revive it <laughs> but the like the really interesting thing about this chapter is that it made me think a lot of javert basically <laughs> like okay so i'll read out my main javert quotes for this chapter okay so the man come, falls off falls off of the ship and yeah is in the water a short time ago he was on board a member of, of the of the crew busy on deck with the rest a living be- being with his share of air and sunlight what has become of him now he slipped and fell and this is the end which is just like really Javert in my head <laughs> because it's the like yeah there is a lot of stuff about like drowning and falling into bodies of water and like choosing to fall choosing to be washed away and all these kind of things yeah in lemes which i hadn't really clocked mm. before but there's a lot of like drowning in this novel mm. is that relevant Didn't to his the fact daughter that his daughter <laughs> Yeah. Psychoanalyzing Victor Hugo. <laughs> so mm. hey, you got um he's on a journey, you got he's depressed, and I got um there's a lot of drowning. <laughs> but actually like the the thing about that which I think like for me was more Javert than just like he was drowning, it was the fact that like it's the reflection on the fact that like so recently he was part of like this functioning body that was just how he was existing and he has slipped and fallen and literally what is like this is the end what is to become of him now um his mouth filled with the bitter resentment at this treacherous ocean that is so resolved to destroy him this monster toying with his death to him the sea has become the embodiment of his hatred and i think that the sea in this represents Valjean or like how he sees Valjean and then it says above him he can only see the bleak pillar (laughs) the bleak pallor of the clouds there's no stars yeah and then later on it says 
There's nothing in the heavens. Wind and tumult and the use of stars. Yeah, that's all I've got to offer for you on that, basically. Well, I mean, that is literally how uh, later on um, uh, Jean Valjean escapes again. And it's, you know, pretty much exactly how Javert sees the sky before he dies. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's pretty solid. Buzzfeed solved. <laughs> Yeah, possibly sold. Yeah, again, another interesting thing to follow, I think, for the rest of the text would be how different characters feed into this. I think it would be interesting to revisit this chapter as we're as we see different characters and that mm. basically like how that how it affects how it affects the different characters because I think pretty much everyone who we're introduced to, yeah, it's again. Les Miserables being basically those forgotten by society. So this chapter, which is a metaphor for those forgotten by society, most of the characters are relevant to that. Yeah. Chapter 9, Valjean leaves prison, but unfortunately he is a convict and he has his yellow ticket, which means that no one likes him. Um, he had been dazzled by the idea of liberty. He believed for an instant in a new life. But he soon discovered the meaning of liberty when it is accompanied by a yellow ticket. More disillusionment. He doesn't get paid what he thinks he should be paid. Twice. First by the institution. Second by a person. Just to add insult to injury. Like, and I think the, like, the mental change there is, yeah, it's both sort of like grand scale and small scale. And also that he now sees society going from just society has wronged him to society owes him something which oh, is right. quite a different like a different mental landscape um yeah lots of threats people have been mean to him this is what happened to him in Grasse. we know of his reception in dean which we do because we've already read that and that's where we get to chapter 10 which just starts jean Valjean awoke as the cathedral clock was striking two and i'm pretty sure we should leave that for next time because <laughs> that's going to be a whole thing. <laughs> it was kind of funny the other day. Um, so as well as watching the Japanese Les Mis, I also watched uh, the Jesus Christ Superstar star the <laughs> live version starring John Legend and, <laughs> and Ben <Saint> Daniels. Daniels <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and also Norm Lewis, um, who was a Javert and... So yeah, somebody asked on Anonymous on Tumblr um, who I would cast in a Jesus Christ Superstar AU of Les Mis um, and like, they're pretty basic <laughs> I, I, like, to be honest it could have been one of you two and I wouldn't even know but, but <laughs> like, I don't know anyway, they, I mean the basic sort of model would be Vajan as Jesus, Javert as Judas Fontaine as Mary Magdalene um, and I was like, well, you know, from what we've discussed on this podcast, Valjean pretty much is Jesus. So, like, I don't think there's much debating that. Like, excuse me, Valjean excuse me, excuse me, Bishop Muriel <laughs> is Jesus. Down to literally riding into a city on a donkey. Bite me. <laughs> yeah, I, thought I we know said that that... Jean, that Jean Valjean picks up his mantle. I I think I think Valjean is Jesus. 
Muriel is two. God. Like, oh, nice, okay. The yeah, second coming. coming. Yeah, the second coming. He is the son of Bishop Muriel and Marius as Judas, because Judas, Judas thinks that Jesus has done wrong and doesn't sort of... He misguidedly thinks that Jesus is at fault for not, like, upholding the morals and stuff. Um, Javeris Pontius Pilate. I swear this made makes sense with what you were saying before. The point that I wanted to make was that when you were talking about the sort of the stuff that reminded you of Javert, the sort of like all of the stuff you said about being part of a whole and like suddenly not being part of it, like being part of a working ship and then suddenly not being part of it. Um, I have only listened to, I have only watched Jesus Christ Superstar once, but Pontius Pilate, I mean, other than the fact that he's Ben Daniels and I really love him, um, <laughs> I really like Pontius Pilate because he had this kind of like, um, desperation to understand really quickly why suddenly something that should have been so simple wasn't simple, and like, this decision that he was making everyone was telling him or everyone yeah everyone was telling him that the decision was really simple um kill jesus and yet he still had to understand why he was doing it and that was what basically drove him to his own end and and i think it's that kind of like once you start once you once you have that first critical thought about how something is running that's when you are suddenly kicked out of the neatness of its running because yeah. it mm. yeah mm-hmm. in the kind of if you've ever watched snowpiercer everything is running really well until you find out how it's running the theme of this episode being hypercritical essays on societal structure ending with hope and like that yeah that is Snowpiercer. Also, like, I didn't want to unrail your thought process, but it's really, really, like, giving me super cognitive dissonance. Like, I've only ever heard that name said as Pontius Pilate. So, like, it sounds, like, super, like... Um, I've never heard it said, so I, yeah, I don't know how it's said. I was just, like, going for it and saying it with as much confidence as possible. (laughs) I thought that's how it was said in the musical or something. It sounds cooler. I don't think it's said in the musical, or at least if it is, I was so distracted by the fact that Ben Daniels <laughs> was wearing, like, leather all the God way. Bless. Like, I just... God bless Ben Daniels. Like, in every way. Like, yeah. I mean, the first time you see him, he's, like, strutting with his, like, plum purple, like, very, very tight jeans. And I'm like, I am super A, super Aero, and definitely not into men. But God, that but is God a look. damn it, Ben Daniels. i think it's like it's his so he has what the people call charisma he's got like it's his it's his persona like he's not like a like what's a conventionally attractive like beautiful like man like he's attractive because like his there's something about him it's really weird i hate it he does this really good bit like uh, the camera person obviously knew what they were doing because he he does this really good thing when he's making uh, statements where he'll like tilt his head and make an expression and it's like such a good tilting of the head like where he just 
sort of shows his neck and I was trying to like analyze it because I was like why is this so good because he does it a lot in um, The Exorcist, the Exorcist yeah. as well that um, like especially when like, yeah, yeah like he'll like move forward and his like his, his head will sort of come closer to me is that that it me? <laughs> it was like it really oh. and put it in like he goes like really intense in his eyes as well he just like it's good. It's good stuff. This is a that Ben Daniels appreciation podcast. Fan cast appreciation podcast. He was so gay. He was so gay. Like at one point he is like on top of Jesus. Like, please just tell me why I should let you go cut like I'll make it easy. Lit- literally anything. You like anything? And he's like breathing down his neck and I, I it must have been a conscious choice to make it as gay as he was making it because like the first song he sings is a, very much a, a love song and then all of the other songs are sort of like man Jesus I don't know what it is about you but I'm just I'm just really digging you like I'm really <laughs> digging you and I don't know if that's sort of a queer baiting thing but I do trust Ben Daniels enough yeah. that even if it meant to be a queer baiting thing he did make like sort of yeah. reclaim it yeah, as yeah. an actually gay man as well. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You can't always yeah, trust I mean, can the actual up. gays to not do bad no. gay content. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, all like all of us, we see any gay stuff and we're like, oh god, bless, good, good queer content. But like that, the whole like playing that that way. Like, I don't mean at Ben Daniels, but again, haven't seen it, so can't judge. But like at whoever wrote Jesus Christ Superstar like Andrew Lloyd Webber well that's a uh. fucking surprise <laughs> at Andrew Lloyd Webber what the fuck like making like that whole that's really shitty and gross basically though so I did go and see something um at the Arcola what was it called um I can't remember but all of the cast and yeah all of the cast and I think the writers were all queer mm. and they made the Jesus Judas relationship gay mm. but they didn't make it I don't know it was really it was a really bad it was really bad and also guess who the only person of colour played the villain <laughs> <laughs> it was Judas yeah um, like I could see why you'd look at that and be like let's make it gay because yeah. it was it was but, really interesting how they did it, but also really bad. Yeah, that that also doesn't surprise me. I'm like, yeah, not surprised you would look at that and be like, they do make him kiss him, and he was cool with that. He could have just been like, this is Jesus, uh, and also the rest of their shenanigans. But also, nothing ever surprises me when they do ba- gay things bad. Yay! <laughs> you know what is interesting. After loving what Toby Stevens did in Black Sails, or like what the writers of Black Sails did yeah. with uh, Flint's character, mm. watching Lost in Space, where he is the most like hyper masculine, my wife doesn't love me, oh. you're taking my children away from me, I am a macho super soldier who is being emasculated by a metal alien, is like the 
most bizarre thing because I'm like just find yourself a nice husband (laughs) and chill the fuck out yeah but like find yourself a nice husband and a nice wife which is the best thing about black sales as well true 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 the poly like by dream that is black sales like if Mm. you haven't watched black sales you should watch black sales and also listen to the Black Sales podcast because they're really good too. <laughs> While we're already derailing, super queer content. You know, Nemo, I was like, I'm going to stop giving you queer updates about The Expanse because it's so goddamn queer at this point. Literally, yeah. we're in book six now and I was like, it can't get any gayer. And they were like, you know what we've not had enough of? We need more main queer characters and they're going to have like... Oh my God. There's going to be like, you know, like Holden's parents are like polyamorous, queer like super cute now a main character is and they don't just be like oh yeah like she is but we're not gonna like get into that they have like so many moments where they're just like being cute and supporting each other and they're like they're so good and so badass and you're like oh like it was already it was already so good that was the thing for me that i was like i think this thing is amazing and i love the plot and i love there's so many like people of colour, so many good women, oh my god, the women are so good, the women are the best, you don't really give a shit about the main man, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever, Holden, shut the fuck up. And even the rest of the characters are like, Holden is a whiny little bitch, and you're like, yeah. (laughs) But, like, initially you're like, all it's missing is more queers, because there's, like, some implied queers, and it's like the writers were like, you know what we're missing? More queers. We need to be writing more queers. (laughs) It's such a, like, gift to see someone evaluate their own stuff and be like yeah we could do this and with each book being like we could do this even better than we did in the last book there are five six seven eight the expanse podcasts nine holy oh. shit and i'm not listening to any of them there's only like two lay mis ones and it's existed for such a long time anyway okay this has been Brendan anyway. Barricades. <laughs> this has been Brendan Barricades, a Lame Moves podcast. Uh, this podcast was produced by me, Nima Martin, and Julian Yap, who is also writing transcripts of every episode, which you can find in the show notes. I'm also very um, busy. We wish you good luck, Julian. By the time the, this episode comes yeah. out, all of your essays will be in. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you can and you're able to, please donate to our Kofi KO-FI. Um, we will use that money to send Stevie to the library so that she can read more books. If you're on iTunes, please give us a, 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 a five-star review if you like us. If you like, comment, like us, subscribe. Give us a five-star review anyway. Um, and write a comment. It um, apparently does actually help. Um, and you can follow us on social media, Twitter, at Layman's Podcast, on Tumblr, um, Bread and Barricades, .tumblr.com and you can send us an email at no, always get that wrong and you can send us an email um, lamemispodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, quibbles or complaints um, and yeah thank Thanks. you for listening <laughs> Thanks for listening
feel like lots of fanfiction doesn't really capitalise on Valentine's dexterity. Respond. <laughs> if you donate to our Kofi, eventually we'll get enough money that I'll make a latex Javert outfit for Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> As we discussed earlier. <laughs>